0: Be seated. Take your Bible if you have one there and turn to the book of Job, chapter 1. We're going to look there here in just a moment. I want to talk to you this morning for a few moments about about trusting God. I think all of us as we walk into uh, days like this and spaces like this, we walk in with a little bit of baggage. There are things that some of us have uh, been working through and thinking through and processing through and become sometimes with with, with a lot of questions. I, I, I think all of us face times in our life where we're just saying, God, why, why is it? If you didn't get a copy of the book uh, for some notes, take that as it comes by. Ever face a time in your life where just a lot of questions and, and seems like very few answers? What, what questions did you come in with? Are there things you say, I just want to get to heaven and say, God, why this? Why did this take place? Why, why, why did you allow that to happen? My uh, wife's father passed away this past summer. And he asked me to do the grade five service before he died. And, and um, his name was Roy. And I remember staying there thinking, you know, I-, I really envy Roy right now. And I said to the folks, I said, Roy is at a place where there's no more questions. All his questions were answered. Probably when we get to heaven, the questions we thought were important are not going to be that big of a deal. But, but all his questions are answered. Secondly, he's in a place of, of no temptation. I want to be there. No, no temptation, no questions, no temptation. Thirdly, he's in a place of, of no more problems, no tribulation, no, no, no more difficulties. I, I envy Roy. But now, and where we're at at this point in our life, we have a lot of questions. And I'm going to give you a premise of what I want to share with you this morning. And it's simply this, the, the best, the safest, and the most productive place to be is in the fog, the flood, and the fire of the Father. Now, that statement may sound a little counterintuitive. We, we don't really think about those as being, as being great things. But the best, the safest, most productive place to be. You ever been in the fog? Ever feel like sometimes you're just kind of, your, your life is fogged in? I, 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 don't, I don't really like fog. And we drive a lot. We travel across America, and, and so a lot of our time is driving. And, and uh, you know, m- my, my philosophy is if, if it rains or something, you drive faster to get through it. That's kind of what I think. But, but when it comes to fog, I mean, you can't see what's in front of you. You can't see what's behind you. My worst driving experience ever we live in, we live about 20 minutes from, from Notre Dame uh, in sou- near south Indiana. And so we're about two hours from Chicago, so we're driving one of our kids to Chicago Airport to fly out. And it was got up, and it was just one of those days where you, you really could cut the fog with a knife. I mean, you couldn't see anything. And I, I'm, I'm used to that kind of weather. I grew up in Oregon, and we have a Washington mist. It missed Washington, hit Oregon. And so we, we have a lot of weather events in Oregon. I mean, our, our mascots are the ducks and the beavers. That tells you something about, about our weather. And so I, I'm used to that kind of weather. I, I went to college in Southern California. There's, there's a whole city named after a weather event. You know what happens when the fog lifts over Los Angeles? UCLA. And so, um, uh, there, anyway, so, so I'm used to that kind of weather. But this was a day where you couldn't say anything. You don't know what's coming behind you. You don't know what's in front of you. And, and that's just not, not really a, an enjoyable time to be. And, and sometimes our life feels like that. Some, sometimes you're, you're going through situations where you just feel like, what, what's going on with my, I can't figure this out with, with my family, with my world, with our, our country, whatever. I, I want to address that this morning. Maybe a, a flood is a better description of your life right now. We live in a little town called Niles, Michigan, and um, this was downtown. It's next to the St. Joe River. It overflowed, and, and I saw this picture, and I thought, those are streets I used to walk down. Now it's like waist-deep in water. And there's just something intimidating about being in, in, in a flood. You can't stop uncontrolled water. The power of uncontrolled water is just overwhelming, and I, just, I, don't, I don't like to be even be wet um, I, I, I like golf. I, I, when I saw that your church is on Country Club Drive, I thought, wow, that's going to be great. And now it's like 10 degrees or whatever. But anyway, um, I, 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 I'm, I'm not really into hunting and fishing, but when I go golfing, I get to do both and, and play at the beach a little bit too. Uh, but I, I, I like to golf. I, I, I shoot in the 70s. If it's any colder, I won't go. And so I'm, I'm not going this week for sure. But anyway, um, uh, I, but some people even like to golf in the rain. I, I don't like to do that. I don't, I don't like to be wet. There's just something about, about being wet and cold and it's just not a real enjoyable thing and and sometimes our life feels like that like we're just kind of underwater maybe just just flooded overwhelmed i want to address that this morning maybe a better description uh maybe even more painful is that is that of a fire this picture was taken my sister lives in medford oregon southern oregon you may recall in the last couple years a lot of wildfires out there and this was taken not too far from the picture not too far from her house and there's there's just something about fire. I don't even like to watch movies about fire. Uh, it's just not real enjoyable to me. I mean, there's there people that are burnt and you know choking, and it's not, not 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 entertainment. I was I was talking with a I was actually golfing with the fire chief of Wichita Falls um, some time ago, and I said I see these movies where they show people in a burning building and they're having conversations. That didn't seem right. He said, it's not. You, and you're, if it's a burning building, you're, unless you have a mask on, you're gagging, your eyes are burning. You don't sit there and have conversations in the middle of a burning building. And there's something about fire that is just, it's, it's not enjoyable. And, and maybe you feel right now your life is kind of in this choking, gagging, burning scene you find yourself in. And you, just, you say, I, I, I don't like this. I, I don't want to be here. Remember, the best, the safest and the most productive place to be is in the fog, in the flood, in the fire of the Father. And that goes against our common sense. Some of the conditions we find ourselves in are, are just not enjoyable. It makes us wonder, is God even paying attention? Is, is God asleep? Why, why, why is this happening in my life? Two and a half years ago, um, my wife contracted cancer, or we found that she had cancer. And, and uh, when you have a diagnosis like that or whatever has come into your life that's kind of caught you off guard, there, there's a lot of things. You, just, you say, really, this time, this season, this us, why? why? There's a lot of questions coming that. I'm, I'm learning a lot. Debbie's going to share with you ladies on Tuesday at 1130. There's going to be a luncheon. hope you're coming to be a part of that. She's going to share with you some of the things that God is walking her and teaching her through this, this cancer thing in her life. The thing that, that I've learned is, is how to pray for people that are going through difficulties, um, I, I'm not at a local church all the time. We travel, and so I don't do a lot of hospital visits like most pastors. But when my wife got cancer, I, I realized there's, there's some things here I need to understand more about sickness. This is just kind of a little rabbit trail. It's, it's worth writing down. There, there are four things to pray for when you pray for someone who is sick. First of all, you, you pray for healing. It, it may be God's will for them to be healed, but it's not God's will that everyone be healed. There is a sickness unto death. But you pray for healing. If they don't get healed, you secondly you pray for understanding. Would you help them understand what, what is God trying to teach them as they walk through the situation? Sometimes no healing, sometimes little no understanding. Thirdly, you pray for encouragement. Would you just encourage this person? And maybe you're just being there and holding their hand or being in their presence is, is the encouragement that they need. But sometimes there's no healing, not much understanding. They don't feel very encouraged. So fourthly, you pray for Trust. You pray that God would give them a perspective of who God is, that they could trust Him even in the midst of, of those difficult circumstances. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. That's what we we're trying to live out. So I'm going to tell you three quick stories. And, and if I had time, we could spend a, a, a whole series on each one of these individuals. But we're just going to look at them briefly. The first one is in the fog with Job. Some of you are familiar with the story of Job. And, and here in the book of Job, Job chapter 1, we see the account of this man. He was the godliest man on the face of the earth. Satan came to give account of himself, and God said, If you consider to my servant Job, there is no one like him on the face of the earth. Imagine the godliest man on the face of the earth. Job chapter 1, verse 1 says this There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Now we don't know where Uz was because Uz no longer is, but we know Uz was because Job lived there. I'm sure that's clear. Um, It says in verse 2, this tells how massive God had blessed this man. He had had seven sons and three daughters. Verse 3 says he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, that'd be 1,000, 500 female donkeys, and imagine how many servants it took to take care of all that. He was the greatest man on the earth, monetarily and blessed of God. And then something happened in his life. We've all had bad days. But, but nobody's had a day like Job had. We see here down in verse 13, Job 1.13. Now in the day when the sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen, thousand, plowing and the donkeys, 500 beside them, the Sabians attacked, took them and slew them, and the servants by the sword, I alone have escaped to tell you. So imagine the massiveness of that loss. And, and this next phrase is the one that really jumped out at me as I was reading this recently. While he was still speaking, he didn't even have time to process the loss of all this life, of all this monetary goods, all, all these animals. And while he's still speaking, verse 16, another came in and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned the sheep, 7,000 sheep. And all the servants that it took to take care of 7,000 sheep, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And the next phrase, while he was still speaking. This didn't happen over years or months or weeks or even days or even hours. This is moments. I mean, you think about the worst day in history, the worst day in history, the most pain anyone ever experienced was Christ on the cross. Other than that... I can't imagine a a, a worse event in in the history of any person. Here he's sitting there facing all of his loss. And then while he's still speaking, another came in and says, the Chaldeans came in bands, raided the camels, took them and slew all the servants. I alone escaped to tell you. So all of his material possessions gone in moments, he finds this out. And all the servants, the hundreds of servants to take care of those. But all that was meaningless compared to the next thing. Verse 18, while he was still speaking, another came in and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. Behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck down the corners of the house and fell, and the young people died. I alone have escaped to tell you. You may have lost a child. He lost 10. In what time? He lost everything. Now, I don't know how you would respond to that. I mean, this is a man who had talked with God, who was blessed of God. What would you do? Would you say, God, what are you doing? We've done that with little loss in our lives. And look what he did. This, this is incredible to me. Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshiped. Is that your first response? Do, you have such, do I have such confidence in God that when something like that happens, my first response is to worship? I don't think I'm there. Naked came out from mother's womb. Naked I shall return. Lord gave. The Lord take, is taken away. Blessed be the Lord. Look at verse 22. And through all this, Job did not sin nor blame God. Wow. That's incredible to me. Now, I'm not saying Job didn't have questions. He, he did. Turn to chapter 29, Job 29. He had questions. It, it's okay to have questions for God. That, that's not a problem. David and, and, and other writers of Scripture, they had incredible questions and, and, and cried out many times in great bitterness. In chapter 29, verse 2, he says, oh, the, the, the months that have gone by as the days that God watched over me, he's recalling the good old days, when his lamp shone over my head, and by his side I walked through darkness, as I walked in the prime of my days, when the friendship of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, and my children were around me, and my steps were bathed in butter, I guess he liked butter, I'm not sure, and, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. When I went to the gate of the city and I I took the seat in the square, the young men saw me and hid themselves. The old men arose and stood. The princes stopped talking when E.F. Hutton spoke and and put their hands in their mouths. The voices of the nobles was hushed. Their tongues stuck to their palate. And when their ear heard, they called me blessed. I mean, he, he was talking about the good old days of life. Look at chapter 30, verse 26. Here's where he's at now. Maybe you're living here. When I expected good... Evil came. When I walked in light, then darkness came. I am seating within. I cannot relax. Days of affliction confront me. I go about mourning without comfort. I, I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. I become a brother to jackals and a companion of ostriches. My skin has turned black on me and my bones burn with fever. Therefore, my harp is turned to mourning, my flute, the sound of those who weep. Certainly, he went through difficult times. And, and he comes to a point where he says, God, I, I've got to have some answers. Look at chapter 31. I know I'm going through this fast. Chapter 31, verse 35. Oh, that one might hear me. Behold, here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. God, tell me why. I just want to understand this. I, I need some explanation. And I, I, I love God's response. Chapter 38 now. Look at chapter 38. Chapter 38. Gone through the whole book, chapter 38, and look at verse 4. Here's what God says to him Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? <laughs> so let me ask you a question. When, when I made the universe, you want me to answer about this day? Where were you when I made everything? He goes on in verse 12 and says, Have you ever commanded the morning? Have you ever told the sun to rise? Have you ever caused the dawn to know its place, verse 12 says? Have you ever circled the the, the, the universe with all of the, the spheres and the orbs and everything that's going on? Where were you when all that took place? Here's what trust says. Trust in God says, you're God, I'm not, and I'm okay with that. And until you can come to the place in your life by faith where you can say, you're God, I'm not, and I'm okay with that, then you're going to have difficulty accepting all the things that have come into your life, and you're going to get mad at God. I, I think the reason many people are doubting God, have, are mad at God, because God hasn't jumped through that little hoop, and they've said, now, now, God, do this and heal this and change this person, and it hasn't happened the way they want to say, I, I give up on God. Where were you when God made it all? And, and the fact is, when it comes to most of our life, we live much of it in a fog. Job was in a fog. God, I don't understand this. And I don't know that Job totally understood, ever understood it all. In the last chapter of Job, God comes to visit Job, and Job said, All my life I've heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but today my eye have seen thee, wherefore I repent in dust and ashes. When he got a clearer view of who God was and trusting God, he said, I repent. Not because he had done things wrong, just the, the fact that he questioned the God of the universe, God does not have to explain to you or me how he runs this universe. He's God, I'm not, and I'm okay with that. And when we get lack of trust as the, the forefront of our life and we're demanding of God things, I remember I was watching a video of uh, Tim Keller. I appreciate him. He passed away recently, but he was, he was debating a, an atheist And this atheist said, how come you say there's a good God? And look at this and this and this and this. Explain that. And Tim Keller said, well, you know, God explains things to me on a need-to-know basis. I guess right now I just don't need to know. And he was okay with that. And until you have that view of God, that he's God, you're not, and and, and see the fog as, as not something that is necessarily detrimental, but an opportunity for you to trust. Adoniram Judson was the the, the first American missionary. He said this, the older I get, the more the will of God becomes a fog. When I read that, I didn't like that. I still don't like it. I I thought the older I get, the more life would make sense, the more I understand why this took place and why that took place. By the way, I I am officially old. I know that because last summer I injured myself gardening. (laughs) planting flowers, and I got, I got a pulled muscle gardening. That's the evidence of being old. You know, I, I played basketball in college, and things just are a little bit different now. Um, I, I, you know you're getting old when you stop referring to your knees as your right and your left, but your good one and your bad one. You know, you know you're getting old, right? Anyway, so, so it does come to place. And, and I thought the older I got, I, I tell young couples all the time, I've, I've got some bad news for you. Um, you know, <laughs> life just gets more complicated, I mean, we have 21 grandkids. I mean, life just gets more complicated. The, the longer you go, the, the more things expand, the more people are around you. And, and, and the fact is, when Judson said, the older I get, the more the will of God becomes a fog, I thought, no, don't tell me that. I want to understand things. But the realization is this, I don't have to know more. I just have to trust more. We said, when is God going to show up? George Mueller was an incredible man. He got a burden for the poor in London, he started orphanages and, and had unbelievable answers to prayer. He wrote down in his journals all the answers to prayer, and it it's literally tens of thousands of answers, sometimes that, that he would pray, but before he was even through praying, the answer happened. It was, it, was, it was incredible. Here's what Mueller said. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. You, you can look at the fog, and you'll see nothing. But, but there's something beyond that. I, I mentioned uh, I grew up in Oregon, and in, in Oregon, we have, we have mountains in Oregon. We, we just came from um, Mississippi. The highest point in Mississippi is 845 feet. That's the highest point. That's their mountain. They call it a mountain. It's, it's 800. Unbelievable. The highest point in Texas is Guadalupe Peak. It's 8,400 and some feet, which is, which is pretty good um, as far as a mountain is concerned. But, but in California, in Oregon, and Washington, on the west coast, we have these mountain ranges that are a little bit higher than that. Mount Hood's like 11,000 feet. So you go stand on Guadalupe Peak here in Texas and look a mile up, and that's, that's Mount Hood. In, in, in Washington, there's a mountain called Mount Rainier. It's 14,000 feet. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty st- massive. And it's only 60 miles from the ocean. So when you stand in Seattle and you look at Mount Rainier, this is a picture from, from Seattle to Mount Rainier. It's, this, it's incredible. It's an incredible view. Uh, I, and and the, the problem is, from Seattle, you can only see this mountain 85 days out of the year because the rest of the time there is so much fog, all you can see is the fog. I was in a meeting some time ago. A lady said, yeah, I moved to Seattle. I'd been there two weeks and, I, and one day I, I called my husband, I said, come quick, look, and went in the backyard, and here was a 14,000-foot mountain. We'd been there two weeks, didn't even know it was there, because it's been foggy the whole time. But the mountain is always there. The problem is most of our life we spend looking at, at the fog. I was in a meeting some time ago in the Jackson area, and, and uh, the pastor's a good friend, and he, he said, uh, he gave me a book. It's it's a it's the best book I I read that whole year. It's a children's book, the name of the book is "The Moon Is Always Round," and it's, it's the story of a of a family and their that the wife is pregnant and she goes through a miscarriage, and the the father is trying to explain this to the son, and so they're they're they're. Out one time looking up at the moon, and it's in the sliver stage, and, and the little boy comments on it. And the dad says, Yeah, all you can see is that little sliver, but, but it's because the, the earth is, is blocking the light from the sun. And so, it, but it's always, the moon is always round. And then they go, and a little later, it's in the half phase, half moon stage, and, and, and the little boy comments, and the dad says, Yeah, but, but the moon's always round. Then they're camping, and, and it's in the three quarter stage, looks like a squeezed up orange, and, 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 and the dad says, Yeah, but the, but the moon is always round. And then toward the end of the book, they're having the, the mother goes in, and it's a miscarriage, and they're having the funeral, and, and, the, and the father is explaining to the congregation the goodness of God. And he says, we, we can't always see the goodness of God. Sometimes it's obscured. But God, God is always good, just like the moon is always round. I remember when Debbie went through, has gone through this cancer thing, that became our, our mantra, that, that God is always good. The moon is always round. I, I can't always see the goodness of God, but 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 I know that it's there. Just like the people in Seattle can't always see Mount Rainier, so, sometimes the the fog is the plan of God, and sometimes the greatest things in our life happen in the midst of, of of foggy times. And we don't always see that. COVID was a not a good thing for most of us. Not an enjoyable thing. I, I have a friend who I've known for years, and and he um, about five years before COVID decided to divorce his wife he was into some things and he just they, they had a good relationship but he said I'm not being fair to you and so I, I'm just gonna leave COVID hit and uh, they had kept a good relationship they had children and, and and his wife called him and said you know you're going you're by yourself you're gonna be downtown in your apartment why don't you come and live at the house there's a spare room and you can just live there and because everyone's gonna be isolated and so he he moved into the house he called me seven weeks into COVID. The shutdown was in March, I think. About seven weeks into it, he called me. He said, Steve, he was crying. He said, Steve, I, I have lived with Jesus for seven weeks. He said, My wife has, has taken care of me. She's fed me. She's done laundry. She, I, I have seen, I've lived with Jesus for seven weeks. He said, I don't ever want to go back to the way I was before. The, the, the best thing that ever happened to him was COVID. It brought him to the realization of, of, of where he was at and, and, and what, he, what he needed. But, but that's not the case for all of us. And, and so we say, well, I, I, I want to see everything work out the way I want. See, the, the, as, as you read the book of Job, if we had time, we'd walk through it. He had these friends, and, and they came in, and they tried to convince him that he was, had all these problems. And Job said, I, I don't think that's the issue. I don't know what the issue is, but it's not that. The, these friends were desperate to, to, to make sure that they had a, a reason for Job's suffering. There was not a reason. They didn't understand, and Job didn't understand, but they, they wanted deliverance. Job had a relationship. And so, as you think about whatever you're struggling through right now, do you, do you want deliverance or a relationship? Do you want just it to be done, explained, gone? Or do you say, God, whatever you're walking me through, I want this to draw me closer to you. I want to trust you more, have more confidence in you. If you're praying that God would bring revival to this world or to your life or, or provide deliverance from, from some tough situation, a, a wayward child, a physical illness or a difficult marriage, so a life will be easier for you, you need to change the trajectory of your prayers. It needs to be God's will we want. Or at least it should be, not our convenience. In the fog, and many times, it's, that is the place where we meet God. And, and sometimes the, the fog is the best place for us to be. Vance Havner said, God writes across some of the days of our life. We'll explain later. Maybe you have some of those days. And God's writing across. I'm not going to tell you right now. But back to Job. In the midst of the fog, Job sought God. How about you? Do you have a good reason to be angry? Are you waiting for God to apologize to you or are you going to trust him? Here's the second one. These are familiar stories, so I'm using a familiar one, so we're going to walk through all this. But you know the story of the flood and Noah and the flood. If you want to turn, you can turn to chapter 6 of Genesis. But the story is in Genesis 6, God told Noah, he's 500 years old. He tells Noah, I want you to go build an ark. It took him 100 years. Imagine the ridicule that Job went through as he's building this ark. It had never rained before at that point. The earth was, was watered by the, from, the, from the ground up. And so here he's building this massive vessel in the middle of land. Imagine the, the ridicule for a 100 years. Has God ever directed you to do something that, that seems stupid, that, that was countercultural, where you felt like you were swimming upstream, maybe the school you attend or the job where you work? Sometimes you feel like the whole world is against you. The whole world was against Noah. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe it should be. And and you know the story how how the the animals came in and and, and the door was shut and and, and the water began to rise. and, and, And all of a sudden, Noah didn't seem so stupid. Noah wasn't really in the flood. Noah was in the boat. The boat was in the flood. God had prepared salvation for him. And, and God has prepared for you his salvation if you'll take that and receive it. All these people are watching this boat as as, as they had laughed at it for 100 years. And, and and the ship was in the sea, but the sea wasn't in the ship. We, we should be in the world like, like a ship should be in the sea. It's okay for the ship to be in the sea, but you don't want the sea in the ship. Same thing is true for us in the world. We're, we're all in a process, but life has ups and downs, you, you may right now be riding a wave of wonderfulness, but you will eventually crash in those shores of inevitability. And sometimes life just stinks. Turn the person next to you and say, sometimes life stinks. They may not know that. They may, that may be new news to them. And, and the reason is, is because we, we live in a broken world. We live with broken people. You're married to a broken people. My wife has a broken husband. My kids have a broken parent. Turn the person next to you and say, you're broken. They may have forgotten that, just in case they didn't know. We're, we're all broken. And because we, we live in this broken world and things do stupid things, and, and, and all of a sudden we realize, God, why is this happening? I feel like I'm overwhelmed with the stupidity of everyone around me. But, but we're all the same. I, I'm always one step away from stupid myself, right? And, and, and so the problem is we all have all these questions. Do you think Noah ever had any questions for God? Like, God, what is the story here for hundreds of, for, you know, tens and tens of years? Why, why are you doing this? Wh- what really is going to happen? How, how do I endure being laughed at? When is this going to be over? Is this going to be easy? No. Our, our Father doesn't often change His plans when, when we're too stupid or rebellious to see how wonderful they are. But He does rearrange our circumstances to get us back on to His restoration movement. And He uses floods and fog and fire and all kinds of things. And and this picture was just a snapshot of the merciful, restorative movement that God was going to work on behalf of Israel. Everything about the Old Testament teaches us things about what's coming. And and the flood was a picture of God restoring the earth again. Despite Israel's stubbornness and idolatry down the road, they looked back and and were able to see, remember how God brought restoration? He's going to do that again. The goodness of God always leads to repentance. God is always good. The moon's always round. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher and has said so many incredible statements. And and anything, anytime I see something that or can't remember who said it, I just I quote Spurgeon because I figure if he didn't say it, he should have, right? But anyway, here's my favorite quote that he did say. He said this: "I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages." Have you learned to kiss the waves? that throw you up against the rock of ages, the things that God, the floods that God has allowed in your life, are you learning to see that those things are throwing you up against God? And if you'll see that and embrace those waves, embrace those circumstances, embrace those difficulties, then, then, then you can have what God wants for you. There's, there's another account in the Scripture of, of a man named Peter, one of the disciples and, and uh, the disciples are sent across the Sea of Galilee to uh, the other side. Jesus is talking to his father, and he walks, on the, he walks across on the water. And this storm comes up, and, and the disciples think they're gonna die, and they see Jesus walking on the water, and they're, they're frantic. And Peter says, Lord, bid me come. And so Peter steps out of the boat, and he's walking on the water with Jesus. And he takes a few steps, and then all of a sudden he starts looking at the storm. And he says, Wait a minute, I can't walk on water. <laughs> and And he starts to sink. As long as his focus was on Christ, it was okay. The focus of your eyes determined the stability of your steps. And if your focus is on Christ, you'll be amazed at what can happen. If your focus is on the storm, if your focus is on the flood, then you're going to fall. So, 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 so Peter focused on the wrong thing. Noah, the name Noah means rest. Wow. It's another word for trust is Rest. Psalm 37, seven says, rest in the Lord. Wait, patient for him. Don't fret because those who prosper in their way, because the man who carries out wicked schemes. Don't fret, rest, trust. So, so, so from, from Job, we learn that, that God does not have to explain himself. He's God. I'm not, I'm okay with that. In the fog, he is still sovereign. From Noah, we learn that it's okay to be in the flood as long as you're in the boat. The flood was our salvation, and, and then, thirdly, th- this is a story that we read earlier. You don't need to turn if you don't want to back to Daniel. SMAC, that stands for Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and company. Okay, that's, that's what Smack is, all right? So I just abbreviated their names, all right? And, and so we read this story there in Daniel chapter 3. We already read that passage. And, 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 the, and here these guys are thrown in this fire, but, but the Father doesn't always pull people out of the hardship and suffering. That just comes with following Jesus, There are going to be things you're going to go through, and it's not going to be easy. But he does promise powerful protection. He promises himself for the purpose of cultivating a vibrant faith. It'll be worth every bit of the painful process that you're walking through right now. He he didn't deliver those boys from going in the fire. He went in with them. We read that passage. In fact, he led them into the fire, and, and he'll be with you any place you have followed him. Now, now, these Old Testament stories, we talk about the Old Testament, New Testament, it's really one story. And all the Old Testament stories are talking about Christ and what's going to happen in the days ahead and, and, and what's going to happen in the New Testament. And, and for Jesus, no fog of dread, no flood of undeserved torture, no fire of suffering was too much to bear in light of the weight of his Father's will and the future joy he was going to have in fulfilling that will. The the faithfulness that we see in Christ to the will of the Father is the victory that we can enjoy in our fog, in our flood, in our fire. So so we don't lose hope because Jesus went through all those and emerged victorious on the other side. And here's the truth. On the other side of the mess is always the faithfulness of God. As we walk through these next four nights, I I think you're going to be encouraged with trust and the faithfulness of God. And, and as you see God's faithfulness, as you, see, you can realize whatever mess you may be walking through, on the other side of the mess is always God's faithfulness. In the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed before he was crucified, and, and there he was sweating great drops of blood because of the intensity. On the other side of the Garden of Gethsemane was the Garden Tomb, where Jesus would emerge from the dead and bring in a new kingdom, a new creation. On the other side of the sin and the sorrow and the suffering of the Garden of Eden is is the Garden City, the new heavens and the new earth, where there will be no more sin, no sorrow, no suffering. It will be no more. On the other side of the mess is always the faithfulness of God. But but we've got to trust Him in the fog. We've got to trust Him in the flood. We've got to trust Him in the fire. I don't know what baggage you're coming with. I don't know what hurt you're facing. I don't know what's happening in your family, your finances, or your physical things. But we have to trust Him in the threat of uncertainty. We've got to trust Him in the, in, in the instability of a, a political system we're going to be hearing about for the next 10 months. But you've got to trust Him in the midst of our family failures. For some of us, our family has made wrong choices, and their wrong choices have affected us. We've got to trust him in in the midst of financial setbacks and and inflation and all the things that are happening in our culture. We've got to trust him in the midst of physical illnesses and and whatever is allowed into your life. I'm I'm challenging you this morning to embrace the waves, all those things, because they're throwing you up against God. They're throwing you up against the rock of ages. And rather than looking at those waves and and saying, oh, man, I'm, I'm drowning, realize that they're causing you to become more in a position where you can embrace the God of the solutions, where you can have relationship with him. Will you be able to receive what God wants in these days, these next nights? It's got to start in a willingness to accept whatever he brings. Will you embrace the waves that he throws your way? If, if your focus is on safety and you just say, I, I just want to be safe, then it's doubtful you'll really be following the Lord. If your focus is on material things, it's, it's doubtful you're really following Jesus. If your focus is on anything other than the Christ of the cross, you're not really a follower of Christ. So, so will you embrace the things He brings your way? Let me close with this. A pastor who was a, a missionary kid in Africa wrote recently about a trip he took to the western edge of Zimbabwe. They were, they were going back to Africa, and while they were there, they were going to do a white water, water rafting trip down the Zambezi River, a river that's most famous because on its way to the Indian Ocean, it pools into Victoria, into, into Victoria Falls. And it's the, it's the Indian Ocean, and the Victoria Falls is a, the, the largest waterfall in the world. It's about a mile wide. It falls a thousand feet to, over these rocks, and, and the, the spray goes up 50 miles in the air. The, the local villagers call it the smoke that thunders. It's a deafening roar. And, and the water that rushes down through that, that, that gorge creates a, a torrent that makes the world's largest rapids. A, in the United States, they measure uh, whitewater rapids by a scale of 1 to 5. You can't legally raft down anything higher than a 5. It's too dangerous. The Zambezi is a 7, and in flood stages it can be even an 8. It's, it's not, a, not a trip for the faint of heart. This, this missionary wrote this. He says, As I sat on the edge of that eight-person raft, all suited up in a tight jacket and a thick crash helmet. I wondered, is it that dangerous? But then I heard our guide say, when the raft flips over... Wait a minute. He didn't say if the raft flips over in the off chance the raft flips over, but rather when the raft flips over... Stay in the rough water. He said you'll be tempted to swim toward the stagnant water at the edge of the banks of the river, but don't do it. It's in the calm, stagnant waters at the river's edge where the crocodiles are waiting for you. I don't know about you, but I want my money back right then, right? <laughs> Listen, when the raft flips, when life is turned upside down, it may have happened to you this week, Last year, or it may be happening to you in a week or in a year, when the raft flips, stay in the rough water. You might want to leave the rough water when the raft is overturned, and, 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 but the white water is what God has designed for your protection and for your development. It's in the rough water where, where character and perseverance is strengthened, which is why as believers, we've got to resist the temptation to swim to where it seems safe. Because it's in the safe, safe, stagnant waters where truly deadly enemies are watching and waiting. And we say, I'm just going to kind of back off. I don't, I'm, church has got too much. God's kind of let me down. I'm just going to, I'm not going to be a part. I don't want to get involved in small groups. I don't want to do anything. I'm just, I, and, and we're just going to back off. It's in that stagnant place where, where you're not in the midst of the torrent, where you're not in the midst of the danger. That's, that's where the enemy attacks. So, when when those times come, when, when there's when there's not, and I, I mentioned this, when, when if you're just saying, "I want to be safe," where is the safest place I can be? If that's your priority, then you're probably not going to really be choosing to follow God, or or if you make material things. But the bottom line, anything you say, I, I, if I can do this, it'll be a little bit easier for me. It's in the midst of the difficulties, and if you're willing to stay, the best, the safest, most productive place to be is going to be staying where God is leading you. It could be in a fiery furnace. It could be going through the loss of a lot of things. It could be in in the ridicule of of the world like like Noah faced. But if you're willing to stay where God wants you, then he can do something in your life. I want to talk about that this week. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I wonder if you'd be willing to go to the Lord right now and, and just say to Him, Father, as much as I understand, I trust You. You're God, I'm not, and I'm okay with that. I want to learn more of You, but I'm, I'm going to choose to worship You. Maybe um, the, the water is rising in your life and you feel like you're about ready to be overcome. As long as you stay in the boat, as long as you stay where God asked you to stay, He'll protect you from the flood. You're gonna have ups and downs. It'll be a rough ride. But if, if you're willing to follow Him even into the fire, because He's right there with you. There's another in the fire standing next to you. Maybe you've been looking for the, Calm water. Maybe even trying to paddle toward the this, this side and say, I'm, I'm just not going to deal with that anymore. I'm, I'm tired of dealing with that physical problem, that financial problem with that person. I'm, I'm just done. I'm just going to leave. And God is saying to you this morning, you need to stay where I have you. You need to stay loving that person. Not, 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 I'm not saying you stay in abusive relationships. I'm not saying that. But, but where God has you right now with that person, with that situation, with that financial situation, with that thing at the job, the thing at the home, that, that person that you just can't, in your family, just, just can't connect with, God, I'm, I'm going to stay in there. I'm, I'm going to keep on loving. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on obeying because I know you're there with me. Just tell God that's what you want to do. If you can, just say, God, I trust you right now. And I'm I'm gonna stay in the difficult situation because on the other side of the mess is the faithfulness of God. You talk to him right now.